Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Unsackable Podcast. I'm your host today, Josh Deming, and I'm joined by Adrian Sosa, and we're here to discuss the transfer roundup because the transfer window just came to a close, and we're also going to take a look at the upcoming Champions League group stage. And you'd assume, because Manuel Veith is uh, a part of this podcast and he's, you know, works for Transfer Market, it would have been nice to have him here for this roundup episode. But Adrian, they are just stuck with us. So how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I hope that everyone will be satisfied with the covers that we provide. Yes, Manuel is out on vacation, probably having a well-deserved vacation following this transfer deadline day. And uh, Filippo, he's not here either. The man is busy. He's back at work, you know, doing his other, other job. But uh, yeah, you and I here on a beautiful Friday. Let's talk some transfers and a little Champions League as well, because that's starting so soon, man, already. It is. And when you said Filippo's back at work, I thought you meant on Twitter poking fun at Canadians, so I I misinterpreted you there, but that's fine. We move on. And I mean that gonna... never stops. That, there, <laughs> that never there's stops. no end to that. He never takes a vacation no. from that. No, no. Adrian is specializing in um, in understanding how tact revolves around Twitter and and the certain keys that he does to poking different fan bases. And I, it's very interesting. But we're going to start things off today in the transfer world with Chelsea. And Chelsea's a very interesting one to me because we on this podcast, when we're going through the Champions League and clubs that we thought were going to qualify for it the Premier League is always interesting because there's usually the big six and a lot, I think I'm pretty sure most of you guys the, the other three of this podcast were a little skeptical whether Chelsea could make it and I was backing them I said because that's not just the members of our podcast it's it's a bunch of people that are doubting Chelsea and, and now I'm starting to maybe see why after that game over the weekend I watched them against Southampton it was painful from start to finish they do not look good Thomas Tuchel simply just looks nervous and I I don't know exactly what it is, but it came to a point where it's like, all right, something has to change in this squad, whether it's the way that they play and maybe some new transfers will do that. So they brought in three on deadline day, which I thought was pretty impressive or right around deadline day, whenever Fufana was officially done. But they brought Fufana in from Leicester City on a big, big deal to cover in that back three because they're going to have players like Aspilicueta, whether he's going to actually feature a bunch this season, I'm not overly sure. Chalaba, they got Koulibaly, and they got Thiago Silva, who has already had a ton of minutes. So getting a young, fresh player like this coming in will be massive. They brought in Zachariah on loan from Juve to help boost that midfield. And the key one for me and Adrian, this is what I'm excited to hear you talk about, is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Now, Aubameyang had a prolific goal-scoring career from Dortmund to even Arsenal, except for maybe that last half season, but he picked it back up at Barcelona. I mean, the man scored in just about every game he played for Barcelona, so they're getting a player probably pretty hungry and informed. Do you think that this three signings right now could be enough to maybe help shift Chelsea's season back in the correct direction? Yeah, you would hope so. And I mean, I'll start with Fofana. I think that a very, very good defender, of course, very young defender, um, but I am a little bit worried about his injury history because it has been absolutely brutal just looking at it now. He had that fracture with, I mean, that can happen to anyone. You can't really fault a player. That's not like it's a a muscle tear or anything that keeps on recurring. Um, He has had a muscle strain as well. And then there's a good history of knee injuries dating back to about 2019. So I'm a little bit hesitant given his uh his injury history but clearly he passed the medical and he's good to go and he looks like a great player to add to that back line they need some depth in that position anyway after losing guys like rudiger um and christensen as well keep forgetting about him um so yeah good signing they need the depth 
the other signing, Mr. Zacharia, is again a very, very injury-prone player, unfortunately. Um, as you'll know from watching him at Bruce Lee Mosin Gladback previously. But as far as the qualities that he brings, I think that that is a player that Chelsea absolutely needs. Someone who can play either six or as an eight. I think that that works because with Conte, again, another injury ravaged player. There's a lot of injury ravaged players at Chelsea at the moment, aren't there? Um, you need that depth in the midfield. So as far as what he brings onto the pitch, I think that Zachariah is a good player. I think that they still could have used a more creative player in the midfield. I know that that's what a lot of Chelsea player or fans, sorry, have been calling for. Someone who can create and pull the strings behind that front line and feed players such as Aubameyang. This is the sign that I actually like. And one of the big things that you sort of alluded to, why people aren't really trusting this Chelsea side and why they had them outside of the top four a lot of the time was because Thomas Tuchel has really struggled to get that attack firing. And, you know, time after time, player after player, they just can't finish their chances. They generate them. Oftentimes they're, you know, not the greatest quality opportunities, but when they do have a good opportunity, too many times we see, you know, Havertz holding his head after just missing or Sterling laying on the ground after just missing, etc., etc., etc. It was Lukaku before that. So it has been a graveyard of strikers and attackers and just poor finishing in general at Chelsea in the last little while. Can Aubameyang help and provide that threat? I think so. I think that he definitely will have very good support surrounding him, both from the wing back positions on the left and the right. Kukurea especially, we'll see how he sort of combines. But what I'm looking for is Reese James down that right flank and sort of finding Aubameyang at the back post as he likes to sort of drift to. So we'll see. I think that Aubameyang definitely has, you know, as you highlighted at Barcelona, been in great form in 2022. He looked like a completely different player from the one that we saw towards the tail end of his Arsenal career. But there were signs that that was sort of you know not really a very happy marriage between him and his club anymore but I think that it's a good signing I think it's one they absolutely had to make and if Pierre or Emmerich Aubameyang is one of the options that you can pick up for relatively cheap then I think that you have to go for it especially for a club like Chelsea that needs someone who can score some goals exactly and you made a key point there they have the leverage Barcelona struggling to register players they they wanted, I think, 20-plus for Aubameyang, and they're never going to get that. They're running out of time. They got the deal done. And Chelsea, to start off the season, like you said, I mean, they got rid of their main striker. Maybe they didn't want to play that way, but it, it's clearly shown so far that they can't, having Sterling kind of playing at that lone striker. Havertz in the last match kind of drifted out to the wings, and he just looked completely lost. Hopefully they can find a way to just put a, a big, nice goal-scoring center forward up there that can be on the end of those beautiful balls that hopefully they'll whip in like you mentioned James Mount who needs to get back to form Havertz who hopefully play a little bit more centrally if they're going to make this thing work I think he is the key and like you mentioned I mean the other two with their injury histories it kind of seems like they're just buying players to piece together maybe these two half injured players will eventually equal a full player but regardless I, I think that this was good good business in the last day to bring these three bodies in and hopefully Thomas Tuchel will be able to find a way to put it on but a player who left Chelsea to actually go to Barcelona on that day was Marcus Alonso. Now, I don't think as the time of recording he's actually signed. It seems like he terminated his contract, which will make him allowed to sign for Barcelona after the window. So he's technically an unrestricted free agent right now, but Barcelona were pretty busy as well, but mostly in the fullback area. They sent Sergio Dest on, on a loan to AC Milan, which was an interesting move for Dest. I'm not quite sure how much time he's actually going to get there, but... He, he, he needed a way out of Barcelona, and that was it. They replaced him with Hector Bellerin, who, again, similar to Alonso, had his contract terminated, which allowed him to sign pretty easily for Barcelona, and then brought in Marcus Alonso. 
doesn't, in my opinion, fit this back four system the way that Xavi plays. He's a, an even more attacking version of Jordi Alba, and Alba, as we know, loves flying up and down those flanks. So how do you see these two fullbacks coming this side? Are you expecting Alonso maybe to play a, a bit part role from certain situations, maybe coming in later in the match or in specific type of games? And then Hector Bellerin's an interesting one as well for me because he had an excellent season with Real Betis last last season like a really good season he's a good player i think his transfer market value was like 22 plus mil and they they terminated his contract and let him walk for free so it was an interesting one so how do you rate this and do you think that these moves make barcelona better adrian i think that as you said alonso for me just does not work in a back four um he's far too attacking and that was clearly what was holding him back when he was at Chelsea playing under Frank Lampard, there was like a lot of calls for Alonso to leave the club because he was doing so poorly in that back four. But then when Tuchel came in and he played as a left wing back, that's a completely different player. So if Xavi intends to use a back three with some wing backs at some point, then absolutely Alonso still has a lot to offer. But in that back four, as you highlighted, it's got to be Alba all day. On the other side, Dest leaving, first of all, to AC Milan. That's interesting, isn't it? Because there's Florenzi, who's actually very much injured at the moment and then there's calabria who is the captain and the right back um i don't see him playing ahead of him and then there's the question of well maybe he'll get tried in the right wing position which is definitely not his favored position i think personally i think that desk looks best in sort of a right wing back sort of position um but it's interesting to think of him playing on the wing because messias and oh, who's the other guy? Salamakis are just not convincing on the right side. Whereas on the left, they look great with Rafael Leon, but on the right, they're definitely light in that position. So could he be tried out on the right wing? Maybe. Would it work? We'll see. But he could also not be risked in that position because if Tess gets injured, then they're back to another, you know, another situation where they have just Calabria and an already injured Florenzi. So we'll see. But Beirin, that is a player that I really liked at Real Betis. Um, I did like him at Arsenal as well, but he's another one where it just seemed like it wasn't a very happy marriage and it seemed like he was a little bit disillusioned in London and didn't really like the culture surrounding the club anymore because at the time it was still very much an angry Arsenal fan base, which is completely different from what we're seeing now, now that they're doing well and they have a coherent plan and good quality players and investment has been made. So Beirin at Barcelona, ah... Like you said, last season was really good. Is he the guy that I think was at the top of the list? No, but clearly they have had difficulties in getting quality fullbacks. And quality fullbacks are hard to come by at this moment because they are so sought after and clubs want to hang on to them because they are so integral to how modern football is played. So I think Barcelona doing what they could as far as bringing in Bellerin. Look, he has the experience in La Liga. He did really well last season. I don't mind that one. Alonso... Don't love that one. But yeah, I think that coming into this final day, the fullback positions were a problem for Barcelona. If you look at the entire squad and where they have invested, they have pretty good depth in all other areas, really. But the fullback positions, now that deadline day is over, I don't know that it's necessarily been as big of an upgrade as they would have liked. Yeah, I mean, I mean, touching quickly on the desk thing, I hope... <laughs> He does not play in the wing. I've seen him play in the wing of Barcelona, and it was it was atrocious. Uh, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think that Barcelona got a little better. A little better from this. I, I think Bellerin, especially because he's Spanish, he's used to this league, I think he will come in here and make a difference. And Alonso, for me, is no more than depth piece. In case Alba can't stay fit, but then 
how will he do? I don't know. It, it's an interesting one, but honestly, in my opinion, I think this made them a little bit better. And Xavi, with a player he didn't trust at all, got him out and brought in a couple ones that he clearly wanted. So moving on from there, we're going to take a look at Juventus. And Juventus had a, had a bit of an interesting one, and their midfields were kind of juggled all window long. It ended up with Paredes coming in from PSG, Arthur going to Liverpool, and then, as we mentioned, Zachariah headed out to Chelsea. Now, I like what they did, but I'm starting to question if they might be a little bit light, depending how Allegri is going to play. If he's going to rock a three-man midfield this year, I count six to seven-ish. There's a couple young bodies in there. And of course, I mean, McKenney's had his injury issues. Paul Pogba is still out for a while. We don't know exactly what he's going to be like coming back because he avoided surgery. They have Adrian Rabio, who they don't really trust. So for me, when I'm looking at this midfield right now, with not counting the injuries and and whatnot, like it, it looks light. Like it's Paredes, it's Locatelli, and then I don't really know who else is going to be in there. Probably, I guess you kind of count McKenney right now and hope he, hopefully he can stay fit. But Adrian, they've shifted out a lot of midfielders. Do you think that they're a little light? Do you think they're going to regret sending out a player like Zachariah who never really got a fair shot at Juventus last season? I think that there's a lot of belief in this um, Fabio Moretti, this young guy who came through the the Juventus uh, youth system, and he's looked pretty good. He got an assist the other day. Um, He's looked pretty solid. But the midfield has always sort of been... Well, for me, the main issue with Juventus right now is Allegri because I believe that you know, Juventus are capable of playing much better, more attractive football. And Allegri is someone who they brought in to sort of steady the ship after Pirlo, get them back on good standing, knowing that there would be a lot of turnover within the squad because a lot of cycles were sort of coming to an end with them. And so I like Allegri in that sense. Now, do I like Allegri following a window like this, where they're clearly trying to take a step forward and they're bringing in great attackers like Di Maria and Kostic and etc 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 they brought in Arcadius Milik as well although he'll be a bit part player I'm sure um I don't know I don't know that Allegri is the guy for this squad anymore I think that there will be further frustrations for Juventus as there has been all season long um in the all last season as well to be honest with you um in the midfield in particular though I think they'll be okay numbers-wise. It's all its all a question of injuries, though, because you look at the players that they have in there, and as you highlighted, McKenney, he's had a few injuries. Pogba, he's been constantly injured for the last two years, it feels like. Leandro Paredes, he, when he is on song, can be a very good player, both with his distribution and in the tackle, but he does kind of get, let's call it, distracted by uh, the stupidity on the pitch sometimes um, and can sort of compromise his teams in that way. So... I don't know, man. This Juventus side is really, really difficult to read because they're sort of a what-if team. And it's, if everyone is on song and everyone is playing really, really well, and I think under a different manager, they could be a lethal team. But coupled with Allegri and how light they are as far or how easily injured they are, I should say, I, I kind of worry about them a little bit. What do you think? Are you, do you think that they're going to be as strong as perhaps their window would suggest? Because you look at the players they brought in, it's just crazy. Or do you think that they're going to struggle again this season, or at least not struggle, but have a frustrating season once again? I mean, in the matches I've seen so far, they've they've actually impressed me. I mean, they, they're two wins, two draws. Not the, the best start you're going to want after four matches, but there's a lot of good performances. And when I look at Dusan Vlaovic, I think this man can... A full season at Juventus with some of the quality beside him could go off. We've already seen him score two glorious free kick goals. Uh, I think I think the biggest thing for me, I mean, whether it's Allegri or not, because I absolutely understand with what you want to do, is almost like 
they had that way of playing for so many years and then they tried to move on briefly. It's like they were they were nervous with the Sari and the Pirlo like signings to bring them in to try to change the kind of way that the style that this team was looked at. And then they panicked because they didn't get the results and they, they didn't look overly good and they just went right back to their ex. And it's it's a little different, but I don't mind what Allegri has done so far. I just think that when I'm looking at this, I literally have the Wikipedia page up right now looking at every player on this side. There's a lot of injury worries for me. A lot of these players. I mean, I, I'd say if you look at this entire squad, I bet you there's almost double digits of, of players that have been injured, like a decent injury in the last six months or something like that. Like Chiesa... Uh, Pogba, McKenney, Millick's got big injury issues as well. It, I mean, Benucci, if he can stay fit or not, I, I don't know. I, I feel like they're they're just a little light. I feel like with the injuries that could potentially come in here, moving on with Bremer coming in, if he can actually find a decent partnership with Benucci or not, there is a ton of question marks for me. But if it works and the players can stay healthy, I do think that this team has got a lot of quality. If you line them up in that four three three system like Di Maria, Chiesa, Vlaovic, that is a front three that I want. If Pogba can get back to the way that he can in the midfield with Locatelli hanging back and maybe Paredes trying to pull the strings a little bit as that eight. This, there's a decent team here, but I, I like again, I'm, I'm far from convinced that this is going to be a, a great season. I could see it maybe being another like third place type finish. And one of the players who did move on, who I kind of mentioned about being late in the midfield. It, we're not going to touch on Liverpool too much because they didn't do a, a ton, but they brought in Arter and, and Tact, good shout out to our Twitter beast, put out a, a funny tweet and I, I did get a chuckle out of it. And he said that Arter is a disguised MLS player. He doesn't know how he keeps getting these incredible moves because he played for Barcelona, Juventus, and now he's at Liverpool. Adrian, can Arter bring anything to this Liverpool side? They there was there was worry that they might be a little bit light in the midfield. They have Harvey Elliott, who they transformed into this number eight. I mean, James Milner getting up there in age, kind of used as a utility player. Uh, Oxlade Chamberlain. I mean, is he really trusted to do a job? Chris Jones is still young. Is there enough quality there? Do you think Arthur will actually have an opportunity to make a difference this season for Liverpool? If we base off of what he's done in the past, I would say not really. It's funny what what Filippo said because he is starting to resemble one of those like quote unquote money laundering players with the way that he sort of moved around in the big clubs that he's been at without making it that big of a impact. Um, and I guess you know under a different manager, different circumstances, players can always surprise us, of course. But based on what we've seen, he doesn't look like the sort of quality player that Liverpool needs right now, and it's. This smacks of, you know, the Kabak signing last or two seasons ago. Was it last season or two seasons ago? I think it was, I think two, it was seasons two, two seasons ago. Two seasons ago. Yeah, it sort of smacks of that where all of a sudden they had an injury crisis in defense and they bring in two players, one of which I don't think even made an appearance and one that really, really failed to impress. And I feel like this is another panic signing simply because they do have that big crisis going on in the midfield. They're very, very thin in that area and... Unfortunately, a guy like Tiago Alcantara, probably their most creative midfielder, cannot be trusted to stay fit. Fabinho, he's typically there. He doesn't. Really, I wouldn't say that he is an injury riddled player. Henderson, he's getting up there in age. Milner, if you're relying on him in 2022, that's a problem. Keita, he's constantly injured as well. So you can see why they needed to bring in that body. Um, like you mentioned, they have the younger guys like a Curtis Jones or a Harvey Elliott who have looked good, but. Curtis Jones, for me, has sort of been one of those players that has constantly been simmering but never boiled yet, or hasn't yet, when it seemed like he was going to so early. 
Elliott, I have no complaints, still very young, showing great, great, great signs. So Artur could get a lot of opportunities in this midfield, and maybe this will be an opportunity for him to prove some of us wrong, but I think that he's had his fair share of injuries as well. I'm going to double-check that as uh, as I pass it off to you, but do you think that he's going to be the kind of profile of player that elevates this Liverpool midfield, or do you think that they would be better sort of relying on some of the younger players that they have coming through? I'm very torn, and, and I'm curious to see what Klopp can do, and this is why, for me, there's no debate we've had we again we've discussed this on the podcast before Klopp versus Guardiola I mean Pep literally got a stacked team he got Calvin Phillips to help blossom an already humongously talented midfield you got Erling Holland who is breaking records left right and center Alvarez as well what does my boy <laughs> Jurgen Klopp get he gets Archer <laughs> And you lost Saudi Mane had to replay him with Darwin Nunes regardless I mean he they Liverpool just doesn't have the money that that they probably should deserve to have being as talented as they are competing for the Premier League, competing for the Champions League. And they have to grab a player who was recently linked to Valencia. He is basically not wanted. He was used as a money laundering tactic to go between Barcelona and Juventus. I, I'm very I'm very confused to see what type of player he's going to be. He does have his injury I, I know I, you're doing the research, so hopefully you will have a little bit of an idea, but I know that he's been injured quite a bit as well, and he hasn't been able to really get to that potential he wanted to show. But there is a player in there. I know Tact wants to say that he's an MLS player, but he is a good midfielder, and I think in the correct system. And honestly, if I'm picturing someone who's good on the ball, who can make that pass, who can maybe, if he got a little defensive coverage behind him, can maybe make a bit of a difference. And then in this Liverpool 4-3-3 type system, the way that Klopp wants his teams to play, I think that there could be a role, but specifically because of other injuries. Like I think he can maybe do a job if if Alcantara is not there, um, a little bit further up the pitch. But I I I have I have trouble because I I think at the end of the day as well, Klopp would probably want to look at the players like a Harvey Elliott and a Curtis Jones. He'd probably he'd probably want to put a little bit more faith in in the young kids as opposed to Arthur. I think if Arthur's going to have a good season, it's going to be because he can stay fit. Others are injured around him, and then the opportunity comes, and it's kind of by default. We, we want to see what he does, and he's able to, to to make an impact. Other than that, I don't really know what Arthur's going to bring to this Liverpool side, and I have a feeling, like you mentioned, maybe not as bad as Kabak. I think he'll feature a little bit more, but I don't know if he's going to be the kind of guy who can make a big impact. Yeah, and so just looking at his injury history, he has missed, I think, I counted 23 matches across two seasons at Juventus alone. So that is not great. I mean, it's not the worst injury record of all time. There's players that definitely have much worse injury records, um, but it's not great. And I feel for Klopp, like you were sort of alluding to with how he hasn't really been supported in this position. I feel for him because there were so many questions about, are you guys going to sign a midfielder? Will you sign a midfielder? And he said, look, we want to sign the right midfielder, not just any midfielder. And then come deadline day, it seems like they signed just any midfielder that was available. It was definitely a marriage of convenience where Liverpool needed a midfielder. They needed a body, basically. And Juventus were looking to offload him. So, yeah, we'll see. I Hopefully he proves us all wrong. It would be a nice sort of moment in his career to go to somewhere like Liverpool. And then we finally see this player that has been promised as... I mean, I remember when he was coming to Barcelona from Brazil. And there was all this talk of like, he is the Brazilian Xavi or Iniesta or something like that. And we definitely have not seen a Xavi or Iniesta out of Arthur. But I think we should stop 
bashing on the guy. But speaking of midfielders, should we move on to PSG? I'm thinking so. And this is the number one club I'm the most excited to talk about because I actually really like what they did. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier as well that PSG is going to be a club that wants to kind of go go away from that stardom. Now they still have the three, three arguably the three biggest stars in the world with Mbappe, Messi, and Neymar up front. But beyond that, they've done some really good business this summer, shedding a lot of dead weight. Uh, and we'll we'll go list off some of the players that kind of went out and a couple of key players that they brought in. Uh, Kurzawa moved on to Fulham. Diallo went back to the Bundesliga with RB Leipzig. Draxler joined your Benfica. Paredes joined Juventus. And Atrisa Gonagay went back to Everton. There's also heavy rumors linking Icardi to Galatasaray. So that will be a huge relief for many PSG fans to see Icardi move on. And then they didn't replace the in terms of numbers but in terms of positions they already brought in Renato Sanchez and they brought in two other midfielders as well Carlos Solar and Fabian Ruiz really this team is better in, in my eyes this team is much much better much more balanced than it's been in recent seasons a lot of quality in that midfield Adrian what is it I mean I mentioned this to you to I mentioned this to you before the podcast started that I thought they're they're very heavy in the middle they've been playing this I guess three four two one system meaning only two midfielders one more, a little bit more defensive than than not, which is usually Verratti, and then a little bit more an attacking one, someone who can pick out a pass like a Vitinha. They have a ton of midfielders. Is it worry you that these signings were a little maybe not as sought out? But maybe, and on top of that, you can maybe get into the detail of why they are good signings because both Fabian Ruiz and Carlos Solar were brought in on incredible deals. Yeah, so I think that Campos and PSG have done a fantastic job. Of course, um, they've done a really, really good job of sort of revolutionizing the midfield because that was always an area where they were a bit light. Now you have the exact opposite problem, as you highlighted, where they have so many bodies in the midfield. And as you alluded to, the 3-4-2-1 type of formation that they're playing doesn't require too many midfielders. If this was, it's sort of the opposite problem that Pochettino had because he always wanted to go forward with that 4-3-3, which just did not work. It did not complement that front line very well. They're far too slow and ponderous in possession, et cetera, et cetera. Now they have the shape correct. So shout out Galtier for that, for sort of figuring that out. But they have so many options in the midfield. Now, when you bring in someone like Renato Sanchez, he's very, very injury prone. He's unfortunately had tons of issues. So I can see why you'd want to bring in a few other backups. But like you said, it's it just feels like they're hoarding midfielders. Soler, Fabian Ruiz, Vitinha, Sanchez. Those are all very good signings. But We'll see. I guess what we are sort of ignoring is how often Verratti is unavailable as well, because he is all, another player that is constantly injured. So I guess they're sort of looking at it like that, where they're going to be in a lot of cup competition or a lot of competitions, I should say. It's just the one cup competition in France now. Um, and they're going to have probably some major issues with this condensed schedule. So maybe it's I'm sort of talking myself into them being smart now because if you have Sanchez and Verratti that you can't really rely on to stay healthy, then at least you have Fabian Ruiz, Vitinha, um, Soler, etc. All that can contribute in the midfield. So I initially was like, okay, maybe that's hoarding. Now I'm thinking maybe it's a good idea with a compressed schedule, which is something that we keep forgetting about, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, and yeah, injuries are definitely an important one. And the Verratti, for me, is an almost irreplaceable player. I don't think there's another type of player on this PSG side who can do what he can do. Now, when in terms of maybe the defensive side of the game, Danilo Pereira is that, but is that a guy that you really want to start week in, week out? I'm not really looking at any of the other midfield signings that can maybe do what Verratti does. 
But regardless, I mean, PSG's motto has kind of been, hey, let's just outscore our opponents and see what happens. Neymar has been unbelievable. Adrian, I know before we move on to the Champions League, if you want to just touch on him a little bit, because I feel like we need to. Neymar is such a cool story for me because he is a polarizing figure. Let's let's say that. He is no doubt one of the most talented and gifted footballers, I think, in the world. He's had an unbelievably poor track record, but it almost and it almost always there's that rumor he cares more about country than club ever since he left Barcelona. Well, maybe it's because the World Cup's coming up, maybe not, maybe he just wanted something to prove, but the man has been lights out this season. He has been so, so good. And if you're Canada, you're Portugal, you're whatever country, you do not want to come up against Neymar in this type of form against this Brazil side. No, absolutely not. I think that the I think that the best sort of descriptor of PSG this season under Galtier is that they seem serious. They seem like a very, very serious side. Um, and I think that the biggest thing that he will help to sort of change in this PSG side is to give them some sort of mental fortitude. And I know that they finally brought in a sports um, psychologist to help the team with that as well. So Neymar is definitely the standout performer thus far. Him alongside Messi, of course. Messi has been very, very solid in comparison to last season at least. Um, and he's looking like that, you know, that mercurial talent. I just absolutely botched that pronunciation, but that's okay. Everyone knows what I meant. He's looking like that talent that, that they brought in to be that number one, two or three in the world. And currently with the way that he's playing, he could definitely be up there as uh, one of the top players of the season thus far. It's very, very early, but like you said, he looks serious. He looks like he's really committed to having a good season under Galtier. And it feels like PSG could be, we say this all the time with them, but it feels like they could be one of the top contenders for that Champions League, doesn't it? Is that a good segue into getting into the Champions League? The wait is almost over. A new football season is about to begin. Get ready for the NFL Week 1 action with DraftKings Sportsbook, official sports betting partner of the NFL. To celebrate the return of football, DraftKings is giving new customers a can't-miss offer. Bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. Want more action opening night? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings' early win promotion. Get up 7, you win. Bet on any NFL team of your choice, and if your team leads by 7 points at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. It was a perfect segue, and I was about to say it would have been perfect if PSG was in Group A because we could have just dove right in. They're not in Group A, so that was a, a, just a, a beautiful way to move on over to it, but that is what the second part of this podcast is going to be on, and it's the Champions League because, Adrian, it's back, and it is just a beautiful competition, and I am not a Real Madrid fan. Uh, I respect Madrid because of just everything that they've achieved, but last year's Champions League for me was beautiful to watch it was one of the coolest stories it's almost an underdog story which shouldn't be fair because it's it's madrid but the way that they won every one of those (laughs) do or die type performance matches that they had and we're coming out here in the podcast and i'm like all right now it's the time now it's done you know quarters they they can't overturn the semis not a chance it's the finals are are madrid gonna win yes they are because that's what they do and i just i was so 
I just love the Champions League last year. I'm really excited for it to be back, and it returns this upcoming week. So let's kick things off with kind of a discussion of each group and maybe, you know, do our predictions. I I think we both have done prediction videos already, but, you know, we can maybe change our mind. The transfer window could put some implications on that. So let's start off in Group A. Adrian, anything you want to highlight before maybe you want to put them in order of how you think that they're going to play out? Um, I think that I really like Napoli under Spalletti so far this season. I think that they look great, especially that new signing, that Georgian kid on the left, Cavada. I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly. I need to look that up. Varadona. <laughs> yeah, Varadona, exactly. He's looking excellent. Um, and not to say that Insigne was poor last season, but he definitely wasn't the top top, top Insigne that we've ever seen. And so Vara providing this very, very direct threat down the left is looking good. Ajax, I, I feel for Schroeder, who's taken over and seen his entire team get sold. It's just been crazy. Uh, Martinez, Anthony, um, Gravenberg, Masrawi, all of these players. There's a, there's a couple that I'm probably missing as well, all leaving. And so he's sort of against it from the off. He did bring in Bergvine, who's looked great early doors. Um, so I do worry for Ajax a little bit and how they will compare it to some of these other teams because Rangers have also looked pretty good, especially in qualifying. And we saw last season under Von Bronkhorst that they looked great in the Europa League. So it's going to be a difficult group. And then there's Liverpool who are, it feels like it's a bit of a transition type year. And I don't know if that's down to, I think it's partially down to design and partially down to just all of the injuries they have already. This is this. It feels like they've had a midseason injury crisis to start the season, basically, Josh. Yeah, it, it has. But you'd still expect Liverpool to obviously top this group. I mean, it seems like no matter what, they can find a way in, in certain type of situations. And I think that Liber- I think that last match against Newcastle kind of spoke volumes to of what this team is made of because. That would have been an atrocious start to the season. A 1-2-1 start, that's not good enough for Liverpool. Even a 2-1-1 start, which they are right now, is not good enough. But getting that two extra points in the dying minutes, it speaks of what this team is made of. You know how special Knights are um, when it comes to the Champions League. I think that they're going to be dangerous once again. And I'd probably expect them to top. I like what Napoli is doing as well. I think this is a group that's very favorable for them. Ajax, I still think because it doesn't matter how many players seem to go out, there's always quality within that squad. Good strategic signings come in. It's just the way that that club is run. Uh, and like you said, Rangers have lost quite a few players as well. They, they still look like a good side. I would expect Liverpool, Napoli, Ajax, and Rangers for my prediction. Adrian, is that what you're thinking? Or do you have a other stop before we move on to Group B? I, I may have Pep Guardiola big-brained this accidentally, okay. but I actually... I think maybe I'm just being a little bit silly, but I think that Napoli might top this group. I could see it. I think that Liverpool might have a tough time just early in this early part of the season with how many injuries they have, with how light their midfield looks. I just, I think that there's an opportunity there for Napoli to finish top of this group. Um, And then Ajax and Rangers, for me, it's a coin flip as to who will finish third or fourth. We'll see. We'll see. Like we said, Rangers look good, but Ajax always, always, always has a really talented side. So yeah, I think the, Main part is, I think Liverpool and Napoli are going through. All right. Pep Guardiola, we'll find out if he's going to butcher it once again with uh, <laughs> Gabby Jesus playing at right wing back. But moving on now to Group B, this is an interesting group. I think it's a fun group. Um, three Canadians are in it. So, you know, for me and Adrian, it's kind of cool. But it's it's an open group for me. You got Atletico Madrid, Porto, Bayer Leverkusen, and Club Bruges. Now, I'm really impressed with 
how Porto finished off their season. They had an unbelievable campaign. Adrian's very familiar with how the team performed. They looked pretty good. I mean, they beat Sporting 3-0, and then they, they had a very interesting loss, one that I don't think they expected to have. Maybe Adrian can touch on, on maybe some of the issues that Porto could find, but I still think they're in a pole position this year to compete for a good spot to move on to the round of 16, as Atletico Madrid always is. Atletico, kind of thinking how you are, Adrian, with with Liverpool, I think that there's a, as Atletico kind of has always that, that transition. I mean, they had Luis Suarez going out. They have Morata coming back in. They have Renan Lode going out. They got Saul coming back in. They always have turnover of players as well, and sometimes it doesn't quite click. Last season definitely was one of those examples. I don't think they're going to struggle, but it wouldn't surprise me, for honestly, if they finished second in this group. But uh, then you have Bayer Leverkusen returning to the Champions League good side poor start of the season but they're kind of recovering and showing their quality and then club bruges who i think uh will be a, a pup running with the pack here I, I don't know if they're going to be able to do much in this but it'll be exciting to see tejan buchanan nonetheless so adrian what do you think about group b i think that basically as it's listed um from the seeding from the pots is basically how it's probably going to finish like you said club Brugge could provide like a a fun result here or there it'll be nice to see some canadians playing um, but I don't know that they'll be, have enough to finish in third unless Leverkusen cannot find their feet just as they couldn't in the first four matches of the season where they, I think they lost every single match um, going from the Pokal and the first three in the Bundesliga as well. Now they did win recently 3-0 against, was it Mainz? Can't yeah, I remember. Think they, I think they won, I thought they won two in a row, but they might, might be, I'll, I'll check quickly. They might be 1-0-3 or 2-0-3, depending on how many matches have been played. There's only once, yes, they, they're 1-0-3. So that is a brutal start to the season for Bayer Leverkusen. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Especially with how much promise they ha- showed last season and all of the sort of high hopes surrounding them this season. So I think ultimately Porto and Atletico are going through. I was sort of... I can talk myself into believing Porto will finish first. I can talk myself into believing that Atletico will finish first. It all t- depends, really, on Atletico because they're so streaky. They're so unsettled all the time, it feels like, especially in the attack. So... We'll see, but I think when you boil it down, Porto and Atletico going through is probably your best bet. Yeah, I I probably I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna big bring it too. Not that it really matters, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go Porto, Atletico, uh, Leverkusen. But I think it's worth noting, not that not not a lot of people care about this, but history sometimes comes into consideration. Bayer Leverkusen have an excellent record coming into the Champions League and making it to the round of sixteen. The round of sixteen has always kind of been their bread and butter, where they get eliminated. So. They have the history, so you never know. They could be one in there that could definitely compete as well. Kind of similar to Gladbach a couple seasons ago where maybe they're not going to have the greatest Bundesliga season. It shifts their direction a little bit. But regardless, that is a tasty group, but not as tasty as Group C. That was a great transition. Shout out to Josh. So Group C sits with Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Inter Milan, and Victoria Pilsen. Adrian, tell me a little bit about this group. Well, I think that Victoria, I feel for them because you'll remember a couple of years ago when Slavia Praha got drawn into a very difficult group as well. And that iconic image of one of the staff members from the club sort of grimacing and laughing when they're drawn into that group. And now their Czech counterparts, it's happening with them as well, because this is another very difficult one. We have Bayern and Barcelona in the same group for the second year running and Robert Lewandowski playing against his former club. So that's going to be something to watch out for. Um, he'll be back at the Allianz Arena very soon. Um, and then Inter, who basically have the same squad as last season, except you add in Lukaku. And they look very good. They look really, really good. Uh, Lukaku is now injured for about a month. So we'll see how that sort of affects their first couple of matches. Is it going to be Correa playing alongside Lotaro? Is it going to be Dzeko playing alongside Lotaro? 
I'm not sure, but I think what I am absolutely sure of is that Bayern will finish top of this group. And then when you get to Barcelona versus Inter, it's it's a bit of a toss-up for me there because with this Barcelona side, they're still coming into themselves, really. Um, and there has been very, very, very promising signs thus far. They've looked very good under Xavi. They have Ansu Fati returning, which is someone who we've all sort of forgotten about when you look at all the signings that they've made in the attack. And Ansu Fati comes back and he just looks incredible right away. So there's a wealth of options in the attack. It's a question of if they can defend well, which has been so far so good. For my money, I'm going with Barcelona. I think that they're going to continue to grow under Xavi. I have a lot of belief in Xavi as a manager. And with the signings that they've made, Lewandowski looks good already and proving that, you know, I said this in one of my videos lately, how it's so frustrating hearing stuff like the Bundesliga is a farmer's league and blah, blah, blah. And then you see Erling Haaland and Robert Lewandowski change leagues and continue to just score a ton of goals. Like it's not always an indictment on a league that someone's scoring a lot of goals. Sometimes guys are just really good. Robert Lewandowski is really, really good. So yeah, I think to get back to Champions League sort of centric view of things, I have Bayern, Barcelona, Inter, Plitzen. Basically, again, in the in their ranking that is is uh, listed as. Yeah, I, I have this, the same order. I think, I not that this is a hot take by any, any stretch, but I think Bayern will have a very easy time. And I think it's, it's saying something because Inter is a solid, solid team. So is Barcelona, especially with all the transfers. But I think I think Bayern will, I'm, I'm talking like a 5-1-0 like and o type performance. I just feel like they have that type of quality. I think Barcelona definitely got better and will compete in a much higher level than last season. But I mean, we saw in the first match of the season now, ever since that first match against Rio Vallecano, they've looked much, much better. So I think that it will be there. I think Barca can maybe grab a, grab a draw off of uh, Bayern, but I think Bayern will have a pretty decent time. Inter, as we all know, has an atrocious record in the Champions League. They snuck out last year, but I feel like they're going to be sent back to the Europa League this season. So I agree with you from top to bottom. That's probably going to how it's going to go out. But I mean, you never know. Maybe if Barcelona... Just with these new signings, because again, this is an ever-changing team. Maybe they just find a way not to make it click, and Inter can take points where where they need to. But moving on to Group D, from the group of death, in my opinion, to the group of life, is Group D. It's got Eintracht Frankfurt, Tottenham Hotspur, Sporting, and Marseille. And before the draw happened, I said, it's it a shot in the dark, but I'm like, probably whoever gets Marseille in their group may be the group of life. And it just so happened that these are all relatively even teams aside from Tottenham. And if I'm looking at this, I'm expecting Tottenham to probably top this group with relative ease. And then the other three for me, I could give a debate of how it's going to finish. Eintracht Frankfurt just got some experience going on to win the Europa League. Uh, Still maybe don't have the quality of side that should be competing for around a 16th place in the Champions League. But then you have a team like Sporting, who's done very well over the last few years, but don't look quite up to speed this season. And then a club like Marseille, who... Again, similar to Inter, notoriously poor in the Champions League. I'm talking, remember that famous season where Napoli, Dortmund, and Arsenal all finished four wins and two losses? Well, Marseille was in that group as well, guys, and they finished 0-0-6. So I think this is a very different-looking Marseille side, and I think this is probably the best chance I've seen in a long time for Marseille to finish in second place. Adrian, what are you thinking for the group of life? I have the same as you. I have Tottenham at the top and I have Marseille finishing in second. They have someone in Igor Tudor now who really is doing great things with him. He moved to a back three. Nuno Tavares playing on the left as a left wing back, which finally someone has done that because it didn't happen at Benfica or Arsenal. And he looks so much better there. They signed Alexis Sanchez as well. I think that this Marseille team is going to be 
very difficult to play against. Igor Tudor's teams are always very difficult when he was back at Hellas Verona. Now he's been given an opportunity, which I would say a much better squad, and they've looked good thus far. So I believe in Marseille. With sporting, Ruben Amarim is a good manager, but I feel like they just don't really have the squad that they did before. They've been on a bit of a decline since they won the league title two years ago. Um, or I guess a year ago now. Sorry, it's, it's difficult to keep up with it in my brain. Season versus calendar years. Um, <laughs> but I think that they're going to struggle a little bit in the defensive side of things and in the midfield especially I should say as far as covering that back line because Mateus Nunez and Paulinha both leaving those are huge names from Sporting's midfield gone um, in the attack Trincong has a lot to prove and sort of get his career back on track after failed moves to Barcelona and Wolves so I think that they'll be okay going forward and then Eintracht Frankfurt they're one of those weird teams that always plays kind of I wouldn't say poorly in the Bundesliga but you know, mid-table-ish in the Bundesliga, and then they end up winning a cup somehow. I don't think that cup will be the Champions League. I think the best they can hope for is third, um, but I actually have them in fourth. So I have Tottenham, Marseille, Sporting, and then Frankfurt for this group. I have, I mean, I have similar. I think the funny, I think it's worth noting too for Igor, <laughs> Igor Tudor is that when he came in, there was a lot of criticism for the way that he was running his training sessions and that apparently a few of the of the captains and and players with a little bit more experience went to the board and said, we have a huge issue with this. And it looked like a disaster. They've had their issues with managers over the years as well. Uh, uh, Vias Boas, I remember just kind of walked out like Marseille. It's definitely had its issues. But the funny thing is, is usually when those issues are going on, it's because performances on the pitch are also poor, but Marseille has looked flying. And all of a sudden those little, those little birds that were going around kind of maybe putting his future up in there, completely disappeared. Uh, he's doing an incredible job. Maybe the players need a little kick in the butt to get going, and and hopefully that they're they're learning from these training sessions instead of complaining about them. So for that reason, I mean, I, I do think that they've had an excellent start, and maybe he's the character that Marseille finally needed to get them to that level. I'm gonna go with Frankfurt for third, just because I think uh, they did do a decent chunk of of transfers on their team. They look a little a little bit better. I don't think they're like a like a fantastic team that will be going for like a top four spot in the Bundesliga, but. In terms of just competing in Europe, I, I mean, with that fan base that we've seen on full display in the Europa League run and with Sporting losing a ton of players, I, I think Sporting is going to have one of those like 1-1-4 one, one, and four type performances. It'll be close, but I'm, I'm going to go with Frankfurt for third, Sporting for fourth, which rolls us into Group E, which looks like an interesting group. It's got Milan, Chelsea, Red Bull, Salzburg, and Dynamo Zagreb. For me, kind of straightforward. I would probably, I mean, not given that Chelsea's proven it, but I'd still probably say Chelsea could top the group. Milan second, Salzburg third, and Zagreb fourth. What do you think about this group, Adrian? So in my prediction video, I actually have Milan topping this group. Um, They haven't been the same as last season, not quite yet. It could just be a slow start. We'll see. But I still have a lot of belief in them to be able to do so. Now, the thing is, is that this addition of a bombing is sort of the massive massive x factor as to whether this will actually change chelsea for the better in the attack because the defense while it isn't as strong as it was in that first season with tuchel has always sort of been their bread and butter and it was just the attack that wasn't firing and they would manage to grind out results that way so now if Aubameyang does add that threat and they do start banging in the goals then yes chelsea will probably walk this group 
Um, and Milan, it's sort of, it's difficult to see how they're going to go. Are they going to have a bit of a slump after winning the Serie A? Or are they going to continue and just continue on this trajectory upward? I think when you boil it down, Chelsea and Milan are going through. And then Salzburg finishing in third is probably the most likely scenario. Then Dinamo, I will not try and tell you that I've watched a ton of them. I know that they had a pretty decent qualifying run, but I think that they're probably locked in at fourth. Salzburg, they always lose players, but they always find players as well. So <laughs> it's not going to be easy for Matthias Jaisel. He lost some integral players such as Aronson, but they always seem to have really good backups from FC Liefering. They're sort of their uh, farm club. So yeah, I think Chelsea in first is a decent bet. Milan in second, Salzburg in third, and Dinamo Zagreb probably in fourth. Yeah, I mean, you made a good debate too. The thing with Milan for me, and I mean, you've seen it. I think I saw a graphic today, Adrian. I don't know if you saw it. I think it was like one point five billion was spent in the Prem, and then one point five billion was spent between the other four leagues and like the four big leagues: Liga, Bundesliga, La Liga, and Syria. And I just look at the Milan side, and and it's the reason that I think some of the Syria squads have struggled over the years. It's just they lack a little bit of depth. And this Chelsea side, yes, we've talked about, I mean, they had three deadline day signings on top of like a club where they're trying to shed players like Mitchie Bapshuai, Kennedy, and players like that. I just think as long as the Chelsea players can stay a little bit relatively healthy, that there should be enough quality in there and depth to be able to push through. But they've had a brutal start. So I think it's definitely up for debate. And it wouldn't surprise me if Milan could do it, but I'm expecting those two giants to hopefully, for the, just, you know, just the interest of the tournament, to hopefully be able to move on to the round of 16. And as for Group F, we have the defending champs, Real Madrid, RB Leipzig, RB Leipzig, Shakhtar Donetsk, and Celtic. Uh, very different looking Shakhtar Donetsk, unfortunately. Uh, they lost a lot of their Brazilian talents. A lot of players, unfortunately, just had to move on from the club. And they're going to be struggling, I think. Um, for me, this is kind of straightforward. I'm curious to see maybe for the third and fourth spot for you, Adrian, but... I think Madrid, again, you know, the defending chance, the kings of this competition are not going to have much of an issue to top this group. Leipzig, I think, will have a pretty impressive group stage as well. I'm going to go with Celtic for that Europa League spot. They're back in the Champions League. They're excited for it. I think they're going to be, I think they're going to give a run for their money. It's always exciting to see a couple of Scottish sides in the Champions League. And then, unfortunately for Shakhtar, for the reasons I mentioned, I just think they lost too much quality. They're the uncertainty of the league. This is a team that usually can compete for around a 16 place, but I, I just think it's a little out of their reach this season. Yeah, Celtic. Celtic and Shakhtar, I, I initially was like, okay, that should be a decent lineup. But with the way that Celtic have been playing, I don't know if you've been watching them recently. They look really good. You know, they have some really good talented players in there. Postacolu is doing a really good job with them. So I have Celtic in the Europa League spot as well. Shakhtar, they just lost so many players. Um, thanks in large part to what's going on in Ukraine with the war. They lost a lot of their Brazilian players. So they went from being a very much Brazilian side sort of samba east as i used to call them um and now they're mostly ukrainian so they're going to be a very different shaktar to what you're we're used to seeing bit of a question mark on them and then yeah like you said i think rb leipzig and real madrid are going through easily not much to say about real madrid that you already covered um and leipzig under tedesco with Werner in the attack i'm i'm looking forward to seeing how they sort of shape out because they look stronger a lot stronger. They haven't had the greatest start to the Bundesliga season, but they're going to be tested in this group, but I think that is the test they'll easily overcome. And moving on to Group G, we have Manchester City, Sevilla, Dortmund, and Copenhagen. This one, I think, has got up for a little debate. 
I don't think there's any debate that Manchester City will probably relatively easily top this group, similar to how I predicted Bayern would top this group. And I think it's also fair to say that Copenhagen is in for a, a struggle. But, I mean, man, those two those two uh, second to third place teams, Dortmund and Sevilla, are fun to take a look at because both have a way of shooting themselves in the foot. Sevilla has had a brutal start to this season. Lopetegui looks like he's in for some real trouble the way that he's getting his side to play. The the window did not go their way, losing their two starting center backs. Replacing them just hasn't been, I think, as easy as he thought they would have been. They're not scoring. They don't have that prolific nine. They brought in Casper Dolberg, who I don't think is anywhere close to the striker that they really needed. And as for Dortmund, I mean, they came off a brutal Champions League campaign. They had a decent start to the season, but I still think there's a, a bit of an identity crisis of how this team is going to end up playing. A lot of pieces that they're trying to put together they look a little bit better. I would still probably put them above Sevilla just because that's how bad of a start Sevilla had. But it wouldn't surprise me if it went either way. I'm going City, Dortmund, Sevilla, heading back to their king territory in the Europa League and Copenhagen. Adrian, what do you think? 100% agree. Um, I think that with Sevilla, it's always going to be difficult when you lose your starting center backs, both of them. Diego Carlos and Kunde both gone. So I think that defense, which was basically their strongest attribute last season. I think they were either the best defense in the league or they're set tied for the best defense in the league last season in La Liga. And so it's going to be difficult to sort of project how everything is going to click together in defense. Um, Borussia Dortmund, as you as you very well know them, I like what I've seen under Terzic. I th- in the past, this season hasn't been the greatest of starts as far as how they've looked on the pitch. Results-wise, it's been fine. Um, but yeah, I think Dortmund are going to finish right behind Manchester City. Manchester City, I mean, they look fantastic. Erling Holland is scoring goals for fun, and he'll continue to do so in the Champions League, as he always does. Copenhagen, I don't have much to add to them, but uh, I think they're going to be there for the vibes in fourth place. I can't believe it took us this long to mention that this is the the X's Champions League, where we have Holland going back. Prolific strikers, too. Holland going back to Dortmund. Lewandowski going back to... Um, Bayern, and then of course in Group H, because we saved the best for last. We have Angel Di Maria heading back to PSG, and of course Benfica, your club, Adrian. And I'm going to let you take this one off because you seem to think that there's a good chance maybe that Benfica can sneak into that round of 16. Tell me why. Because Benfica has been playing incredibly well under Roger Schmidt. I've been dying to have a foreign manager at Benfica for a long time now. And, you know, me and a friend of mine who speak about Benfica regularly have been dying to have a German manager at Benfica. So, I mean, that ticked our boxes when we saw that he was coming to Benfica. And so far, so good, especially in the attack, playing really high pressing, high line. We've been smothering teams. We beat Mithilin 7-2 in the first qualifying round that we played in. And then we beat Dinamo Kiev 5-0 in the second qualifying round. So we just blew through qualifying easily. We've looked good in the league as well. Four goal, or four wins from four scoring goals, only conceding two in four matches. So Benfica's looking really good. Enzo Fernandez from River Plate is looking awesome in that midfield. The attack looks great with David Neres on the right. Rafa and João Mario sort of swapping between playing in the middle and the left. And then Gonzalo Ramos up front. Now we have Julian Draxler added as depth in the attack. The big question mark is in defense, where Benfica had to sign sort of at the last minute here, John Brooks, um, because we have a bit of an injury crisis where three of our senior center backs are out injured at the moment. One of them has been injured since November of 2021. So even if he does return soon, it's going to take him a while to get into match fitness, you would assume. Um, 
And then sort of as I was alluding to earlier about Juventus, I just don't really trust Max Allegri to get them playing incredibly well. He's often a little bit too defensive for my liking. And something that you mentioned earlier about their defense and Benucci, etc. You look at their back line and in losing Matthijs de Ligt, they did bring in Bremer. But you have one injury to either Bremer or Benucci and suddenly that back line is looking a little bit, a little bit sus. You know, and then you're starting to look at Rugani and guys like that or Gatti to play at center back. So I think that Juventus, there is an opportunity here for Benfica if they can maximize their points against Maccabi Haifa, as you would expect them to, based on how Benfica has been playing so far. And if they can sort of get, you know, a draw and a win against Juve, then I think that we're through. Um, but we'll see, because I definitely don't expect anything against PSG <laughs> as we <laughs> went as we went over already. They're looking like one of the top, top contenders to win the tournament at large. So, yeah, I I think that you it could suffer in this group a little bit, or at least be surprised by Benfica. And Benfica's done this to Juve before. They did it to them recently, I think in like... Ooh, what was that? I, I don't even want to guess because uh, <laughs> I'll immediately be wrong. But I want to say it was around 2013, 2014. Imar was in the team and Benfica surprised Juve. So let's do it again. I think we can do it. I say I think that's I think it's right around when you're right. I remember Juve having a Europa League run uh, when they got eliminated in the round of 16. Or when they got eliminated in um, the group stage and they had to go down and they went made it to the semis. And I think they lost to, I want to say, Sevilla. And then Sevilla went on to win... I can't remember. But regardless, I don't disagree. Uh, Haifa is definitely in fourth place for me. PSG topping this group. And then I think that second and third is open. I'm going to go with Juve, but for every reason you just touched on and we touched on earlier, there's just so many question marks around this Juventus team. What, what kind of team are we going to get in the league? Which kind of team are we going to get in the Champions League? When's Pogba going to be back? The World Cup in the way? I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's definitely up for debate. Benfica looks very, very good right now. Um, something about those German managers, man. I, I don't know, don't know what it is, but uh, Schmidt did an incredible job with PSV last year, and he's doing wonderful things already. To start off, guys. So we uh, we have been back. Uh, we took a nice little break there. We've we've been pretty busy, but we we should be back to regular uploads weekly. So Adrian, I I as always enjoy talking with you. Any last things you want to say before uh, we roll out here? No, yeah, just thanks for the uh, for the patience, everyone. It's been a summer of everyone being on vacation at different times, which is not ideal for <laughs> getting regular podcasts out. But thank you for sticking around. Do leave a review if you enjoyed this episode. But other than that, yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to getting more out in the coming weeks. Absolutely, with Champions League and of course the World Cup just on the horizon, under 80 days away. I hopefully you guys all enjoy it. And as always, as Manuel Veith would say, cheers and bye bye.